to Magical Mystical Journeys. This is an exciting episode. I'm so glad that you're here for it. My name is Katie Valentine, and I am one of the co-hosts of this podcast. I am a Christian minister. I'm a metaphysical engineer. I love helping people transform. Usually, I would turn to my two co-hosts and have them introduce themselves, but I'm recording this after the fact because this is a special kind of episode where we have an awesome interview all about ancestors. So it is a kind of part two from our earlier episode this season on ancestors. My co-hosts are Amy Renee, a shamanic practitioner, and Andrea St. Amand, an evidential psychic medium. Without further ado, we will get to the meat of the episode. We have a super special, wonderful guest to talk to us today about ancestors. This is a guest that I got to know in another program that I'm part of, and I was so, so impressed with his work that we invited him to be here, and he very graciously said yes. So welcome to Afro Spiritual. Uh, We're so glad that you're here. Hello. And uh, we've we've got some questions. This is going to be fascinating. So listeners, y'all buckle your seatbelts. You're going to be in for a really, really fun ride. You're going to learn a lot. And then we're going to just find out more about our own ancestors and see where we go from there. Hello. Well, Andrea here. Tell us about your work and who do you serve? Who are your types of clients? Um, let's see here where my work is what you would call hoodoo practice. Um, but if you want to get into the understanding of cultural, uh, uh, the culture of the practice, hoodoo is more or less a new modern way in order to say what I do, because depending on the family individual, we don't use the word hoodoo. We use the word roots, working roots, spiritual work, work, working, um, Shoot in my family, sometimes we call it, you know, God's work here on earth. <laughs> so it really just depends on who you talk to. I practice, so that's what it is. Uh, I'm a Hoodoo practitioner. Um, I'm also now in the recent past year, uh, Avarisha in the Lukumi, the Afro-Cuban um, branch of Arisha practice. So nowhere near, you know, the ordination or level to be doing any kind of work for anyone <laughs> when it comes to Arisha, but one day I will. So Hoodoo Practitioner, and first and foremost. Um, and when it comes to serving clients, I mean, I work with everyone. I honestly do. And it, it honestly, because in my opinion, every, obviously everyone has ancestors. Everyone has elevated ancestors who are walking with them and everything. Um, just some people, depending on generational traumas and all that stuff, sometimes that gap is access is difficult at times. So I facilitate to bridge that gap and help navigate through those traumas and intricacies to be able to help people connect to their elevated ancestors, to be able to gain wisdom, gain knowledge, and also further be able to help them how to be able to heal and work through generational traumas and ancestral traumas and baggage and damage. So that way they can be able to get themselves on a better footing in life, not only from the past, but also moving forward. Elevated ancestors is my new favorite phrase. (laughs) That's awesome. I love, I love that you introduced that to us. Yes. Could you share a little bit about just in a few sentences about your religion or even if like you refer to it as religion and like what the right words are to use? Yeah. Um, people use religion. You could use religion if you want to, um, because you know, that's just what's palatable to the everyday person. 
But my way is more of a tradition, cultural tradition, or a way of life, a way of being and living, a way of doing. Because Hoodoo practice, it's unique when it comes to um, the other African traditional religions, because the other African traditional religions, they're more organized in a sense. While with Hoodoo practice, it's more ambiguous and nuanced, because based off of the region, based off of your family, based off of your like, even church congregation, if you want to get it involved with the church, it's different from person to person. <clears throat> what you use locally when it comes to roots and herbs is different from person to person based off of your region. Like uh, some hoodoo practitioners are more Baptist or Pentecostal or Episcopal, while others are more Catholic in nature. So it's very nuanced. Um, my religion, in a sense, you could say loosely that I am Christian. I say that in quotation, but my view on it is very different and it has more of an animistic and also more of an African traditional mindset towards it. So for example, when I say God or be like, yes, I believe in God. It's not that I'm talking about the Christian understanding of God. I'm talking about the understanding of the creator of all things, regardless of your religion, regardless of your creed, regardless of your path. You could call it universe, source, creator. You can even call it nature. And when I say God, that's what I mean. I even say that, you know, I do believe in Jesus, but from a historical context, I tell people, no, I believe in, I call, I say black Jesus, you know, the cultural connotation in which Jesus was for black people during the times of slavery and oppression and everything, not the Jesus that most people have come to know and follow, the which in my mind, the Jesus that was used in order to subjugate and oppress. So there's a distinct difference with that with cultural understanding based off a historical context. So what's the difference between hoodoo and voodoo if there is one? The biggest difference is that voodoo was oppressed by Catholicism while Hudu was oppressed by Protestant Christianity. Oh, okay. That's one of the biggest... Yes, because with voodoo, because of the different saints, uh, voodoo practice had the ability to hide the different loa, the different spirits in voodoo practice, behind the mask of the saints. In Hudu, we did not have access to saints. We wasn't given that. So we had to like, it, like condense everything to hide it behind the mask and the pretense of the Bible, Jesus, and the church. And that's it. So everything was condensed even further down. Okay, so, so that's the voodoo for Louisianans is correct. Mm -hmm. Is that correct? And then hoodoo is from is the Carolinas and East Coast? That yes. might be, I'm sure that's a way um, oversimplification. <laughs> It, I mean, it is an oversimplification, but it's a good simplification. Um, uh, New Orleans voodoo is from Louisiana, but hoodoo practice comes from the eastern coastal isles of the Gullah Geechee folk. Okay. Yeah. And then, so, but when voodoo, there's different types of voodoo because there's New Orleans, there's Haitian, there's Sanse, which is Puerto Rican voodoo. There's 21 Divisions, which is Dominican voodoo. And like there's different denominations of voodoo based off of where you come from in the Caribbean and also versus Louisiana. Okay, what do I do? Because I'm from Louisiana, but I'm Protestant. What do you do? You're from I Louisiana. I feel torn. I feel torn. 
which <laughs> which tradition? <laughs> well, the thing, but the thing is, when it comes to that and everything, uh, hoodoo practice, there's even like a Louisiana-styled hoodoo. Okay. Which, I, which my folks call, we call swamp hoodoo because, okay. you know, all the land and everything. So swampers, swamp hoodoo, basically the bayou hoodoo practice. So there's an interesting mix there because when you look at Louisiana voodoo, New Orleans voodoo, it's based off a of Haitian. But there's an interesting mix with Bayou Hoodoo practice with all that. So Louisiana is kind of like, how to say, it's this odd little, it's this odd little oddball when it comes to voodoo. Not saying that it's not authentic, it is, but it's like it's odd little oddball. It is voodoo, but at the same time, there's other influences there as well. Yeah. But yeah. We, it is a lot of influences there. <laughs> just in general, like in the state. So I think your description fits the state <laughs> as a whole. So <laughs> thank you. Okay. So tell us a little bit about how ancestors, like what the concept is and the work that you do, maybe in hoodoo. I don't even know what questions I should be asking here. So I'm just throwing it out there. Tell us about ancestors. What do we need to know? Well, the biggest nuance thing that you need to understand when it comes to ancestors is the difference between elevated and unelevated ancestors. Just because they're your ancestors do not always mean that they have your best interests at heart and that they're willing to be of help to you. Mm. And even gets even more nuanced than that. Sometimes you have elevated ancestors who honestly does not care. They, they do not want to be bothered by you. <laughs> they want to be left alone. But you have sometimes have unelevated ancestors who are still trying to heal, who honestly do wish to help you, but they need help to be elevated to reach that point to where none of their trauma, none of the things that they went through in life will bleed over into your life. So that is the biggest nuance point. So knowing who to pray forward, knowing who to go to is essential when it comes to working with your ancestors. If not, you're going to be pulling everyone forward ambiguously and you're going to be wondering why your life is like, it, your life might be going somewhere, but at the same time, it's going to flip by down. Okay. There's so many follow-up questions. Uh, Andrea, Amy, what? Yeah. Just to be clear here, we're talking about ancestors who've died, correct? Yeah. <laughs> we are talking about our past <laughs> on ancestors, but it sounds to me like it's kind of the same as when they were in life. We have ancestors in life who want to help exactly. out, and but they might be controlling or manipulative and they don't know what the heck they're talking about and they can do more harm exactly. than good. <laughs> but, and other ancestors who are very helpful to us in life. Mm -hmm. And actually, just because of my experience as a psychic medium dealing with people's passed on loved ones, have in your experience do you find though that some some of them when they have passed away their soul is continuing to evolve and they mm -hmm. might become elevated mm -hmm. later mm -hmm. on even though they might not have been fully elevated in life yes into the whole concept in my practice and actually in many different ATRs, um, African traditional religion. So if I say ATR, I'm saying African traditional religion. Um, that's a concept in many ATRs where the way you live and how you live and the work you do in this life upon your passing can decide if you become elevated upon death or you have work to do on the other side to be elevated. 
Now, don't get me wrong. There's some ancestors that elevate on their own being on the other side without any help from their living relatives or descendants. That's completely fine. I'm talking the unelevated ones I'm talking about that are struggling to elevate or they are in some cases refuse to elevate. Those are the ones I'm talking about. Those are the ones that like they need our help. They're still going through it. They can't seem to break away from their, you could say, human experience of the life they lived upon their passing. And those are the ones that's like, all right, we need to do some work to get you elevated and stuff like that, because I don't want your presence being around in my life and wreaking havoc on my life when I'm trying to be better. But your presence is weighing me down and dragging me down. Do you think in that situation, it's better to just like set a boundary and have them go on their way? Yeah, you set a boundary and everything and you approached him on a need to know basis on basically like, okay, we're going to sit down and work with you when trying to heal. All right, we're going to do a little bit of work today. We're not going to try to knock it out all at once, just little by little, because with uh, unelevated ancestors like that, it takes time. And depending on how they lived and who they were, sometimes it could take more than one, like, years, sometimes even more than one generation to try to help them elevate. It really all depends. It depends on the individual. Um, That's the reason why when it comes to veneration, venerating your ancestors in my practice and also in other ATRs, you want to venerate your elevated, your benevolent ancestors that honestly have your best interest at heart. They want to succeed and everything. That's the reason why you venerate them. The unelevated ones, you go to them to do work with them to help them get to that of elevate. But you take your time with it because it's one of those things where it's like, if you try to force an ancestor to elevate, there can be adverse effects. Not on, not really on you, but on them. As in, yeah, sure, they will elevate, but they will remember that whole entire process. And if you go to them and be like, hey, I need your help, they'd be like, no, you put me through hell and back just to get to this point. You're on your own. I can imagine that. I wouldn't like someone forcing me to undergo a spiritual process of transformation I wasn't quite uh, signed on for. Yeah. So that's the reason why it's like little by little. It's like co- it's like coaxing a like a stubborn toddler, basically. It's like you give it time. It's like gentle parenting the ancestor. <laughs> <laughs> There's different ceremonies and prayers and things you could do to be help, but that can be unique to the practitioner, unique to the individual, based off a of practice, um, personal practice, and everything. How might that show up in one's life? Like, so how do you know that there's an ancestor to to work with or the unelevated versus the elevated? Um, you, you learn that basically through your own senses. For example, you can normally tell, you like, you know, that instincts, your body is your best antenna because when it comes to ancestors, and this is where I say this as well, you are a physical embodiment of your whole line here on earth. Your blood goes both ways. All their memories, all their pain, all their struggle, their blessings, their gifts, their talents, everything about them lives on in your blood, lives on in your body. Your body is your first ancestral altar and it's your first temple of your ancestor. So you can easily know who you're dealing with based off of how your body feels when that ancestor comes around. On, or if you talk to your elders who's being talked about and everything, you can have dreams about you know, different instances and events that they lived in their life. 
um, even through instinctual responses to certain scenarios, situations, even things that you view, you can easily know who you're dealing with based on that alone. Aside from talking to your elders, getting to know, finding out their family stories and everything, uncovering them secrets. So uh, one example I could give and everything, I remember one time when I was watching um, Lovecraft Country and good show. There is this one scene where you know, um, where the spirits came to exorcise the malevolent doctor spirit that like butchered um, the spirits that were basically in turmoil. Basically, an oppressive spirit was holding down these other spirits that were trying to cross over because he brutally murdered them. And in one of the scenes, I was watching it, very powerful scene. It came across a woman and her abdomen was cut open and everything. And she was holding what looked like a deformed or mutilated fetus in her arm. And when I was seeing her, like, I don't know what happened. Like my whole body just started to writhe in pain. Like my heart went heavy. Mm. I started to grab my abdomen so heavy and everything because it was like, I felt as if, it, it was as if I undergone and went that. And I was like, what is going on? I went and called up my grandmother asked about, hey, do we have anyone that had any bad experiences when it came to doctors in the past? And she's like, oh yeah, one of your aunties and everything, um, she had a forced hysterectomy against her own will way back when and all that stuff and da 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 da. And I was like, that's the reason why. Okay, I have work to do when it comes to that ancestor. Mm. Oh my gosh. Are we talking about only ancestors that are in someone's living memory or does your work go back further to ancestors uh, my work goes back further when i okay. say anyone your line you are embodiment your blood of your whole line going back eons years hundreds of years because when it comes to ancestors it's not just people you may have known in your lifetime you can have you have ancestors walking with you that are from generations back, even going like six, eight generations, nine, ten. That sounds overwhelming. <laughs> well, there's an old saying that the way I was taught, if you want to take an account for like, let's take an account like 12 generations back. That's a little over potentially 2000 individuals who could potentially be walking with you. So in my practice, when you're doing work, it's one of those where it's like, yeah, it might be, you might see yourself, but walk as if there's 3,000 behind you because there is. Because when you pray, it's not just you praying, it's your whole line praying. When you work, it's not just your hands, it's all those hands together. When you sing, you dance, whatever you do, it's not just you, it's all them through you and around you in your work doing the work with you that's why it's so powerful it's not just you it's everyone from you and on doing the work singing praying dancing everything i that gives me like chills and hope and um i don't know that yeah that's i i mean even as you say that i can feel the power in that um and yeah. the the support and the you know all the other stuff too oh, yeah. that you mentioned all the all the potential for for healing and for support you're never alone really you're never alone really truly i mean another understanding is this your ancestors 
when it comes when your time is up in this in in this lifetime your body goes back to the earth one of the greatest gifts you could give to mother earth yeah ancestors are a part of the soil they're a part of the earth the grass grow our bodies nurture the soil allowing the grass to grow animals eat the grass some animals eat the animals as humans we be we eat both both the grass and animals thus we continue that cycle we are living embodiment of our ancestors in today's time we walk with that understanding the another understanding is that the stars i was also taught that the stars is the souls of your elevated ancestors looking down upon you close mm. to creator so regardless of wherever you look your ancestors are there living in conjunction with other spirits that are a part of this whole system so you're never really alone it's just a matter of you know taking a step back observing observing the self and just realizing that they're moving everywhere you look everywhere you look that's that's one of the and you know that's the reason why in hoodoo practice and other ATRs as well um ancestral work is so powerful because when I'm over here going like, all right, ancestors, elevated ancestors, we're going to be doing this work and everything. We not only, I not only pray to them, but I also pray to God. And it's like, in the name of God, we're doing this. Join me, work with me, pray through my mouth as if it's your mouth, work through my hands as if it's your hands. Move this, let's move this mountain together as one voice and one sound to get this work done. Yes. It sounds incredible. I mean, it sounds incredibly empowering. You can, we can all feel it, but it also, it seems like the angle you're coming at this from is, oh, is also a, would require a tremendous amount of self-awareness. Like you're not going to spiritually escape your own crap that you need to work for. It's not like I'm going to oh, bypass no. myself and go up and heal my ancestors. It's more like okay, if all this is in me, how is this coming out in my life? And how do I heal mm -hmm. myself so it then has this ripple effect up the chain, but I don't have to try to go out and heal myself by myself. Yep. <laughs> it requires so, not only awareness, but it also requires faith and conviction. You have to walk with a knowing, with a knowing. And this is where I get biblical and everything because, you know, in Hoodoo practice, the Bible is a spell book. It's a book of power and everything. <laughs> so, you know. Yeah, Matthew, just stop right there. You got all of us right there. You're going to have to <laughs> do a deep dive on that one. <laughs> that the Bible uh, is a spell book <laughs> in hoodoo. The Bible is a spell book. Because the thing is, when, you know, we was given the Bible. Well, not really given the Bible. More like thrust. The Bible was thrusted upon <laughs> way back when <laughs> and everything. Um, the Bible was thrusted upon us. Shoot. We because we had to look to these things as a means of survival the thing that was thrust upon us we took it used it and weaponized it against oppression thus through our own spiritual beliefs that we held on to we empowered these words for generations for years empowered these words worked the bible in a very nuanced way so when we pray, we pray with our ancestors in the name of God to get things done. Scripture is words of power. 
there's no difference really yes the bible yes comes from a christian tone but it's like it's one of those things where it's like oh the god that you worship and everything okay i mean we have our own understanding of that coming from africa all right you, words of power okay that's nice shoot we'll use it we use it in a way that you might not know that we're using it in, but you know what? We're going to use it. <laughs> we might not like it, but you know what? This is for us to save ourselves, not to follow what you want us to do. I love that. I, I'm not sure what the right word is. It feels a little subversive um, in, a, in, a, in an empowering way. I'm not, that's not quite the right word. I can't land on the right word um, mm. right here, but I love it's, it's a claiming. Like I love that just claiming. Um, mm -hmm. A particular scripture um and and using it in this really empowering way and it feels i mean it feels to me like it's actually doing honor um to a book that's been used in such devastating ways mm -hmm. right it's taking it like the spell book idea is taking it and using it in a way that is um doing like healing healing the world oh yeah because yeah. when you actually in Huda practice, when you sit down and actually look at the scripture, when you read it, you're applying it. You, the way that you apply it is in a practical sense, not in this like metaphorical sense, but in a practical sense, in the sense of like, okay, how does this apply to my life? How does this apply to how my ancestors may have interpreted and done it? Like, for example, um, let's use the example of, um, shoot, what's, what's, what's one verse? and everything um goodness when when abraham and uh to, when abraham took up the took the tabernacle up to the mountain and everything and he brought all these offerings they brought um they brought burnt offerings as well and everything how that is interpreted in who to practice is like oh okay if i was doing biblio bibliomancy as in flipping through the bible with my eyes closed and everything and landing on a scripture if i were to land on that and be like what does the ancestors want me to know and da 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 flip it and i land on that and it's like burnt offering all these different offerings different rams different this different that it's like all right i need to give offerings to my ancestors let me lay some food out to them that's how you apply it in a practical manner Okay, so talk to us about like laying food and water out, like those ways of connection. And um, I think maybe a follow up for me is, is this something that you would recommend that people who aren't part of, of like hoodoo um, spirituality do, or should it be reserved to people within the practice? It depends. Okay, and this is, this is the nuance point, just another yeah. nuance. When it comes to ancestral veneration, the best way to connect to them is through the context of what they believed and how they worshiped in practice. It's not about how you believe, it's about how they believe. Because let's say that, you know, let's say that you have someone who's a Norris pagan, but they're, but they come from a lot of folks who are Christian and everything. Sure, the person could be Norris pagan all they want to, but they cannot, when it comes to their immediate ancestors, because you have to work up the ladder, you cannot just approach them going like, they're Norris Pagan. You cannot. You have to approach them in the context of being a Christian, praying the way they pray, getting to know them through their context, because that's the language that they understood in life. And as over time, as you connect to them with the language they understood, they will gently walk you further, further back 
and you may end up eventually coming across that one ancestor who might have been Norris Pagan or Norris and all that stuff. And then that's when it switches and it's like, okay, with my immediate folks, I have to use this. With my folks further back beyond that, I have to use this. That makes yeah. total sense. And that's so different language. I'm sure I have some voodoo people in my background, uh, the people who were in South Louisiana who migrated north. So um, thank you, because that gives mm. me like this whole new a whole new thing to explore, which I'm really excited about. Well, actually, can I ask an Katie. obvious question? Uh, Katie, I'm What's not up? sure that's true because you're a white girl. <laughs> uh, I've done my ancestry. So, but would that have been like yeah. pagan, more European paganism rather than African? I do have Afri African voodoo. ancestors too. Okay, that's mm -hmm. just curious. Like, is there, you know, is is there a way for people of white European descent to approach this in a manner that is not cultural appropriation? Yeah. Right. Yes. Um, and that's where I say that's where you go and find someone who is a practitioner, a descendant of the people in that case. Because, you know, you have to also look at it with the nuance of historical context. Uh, for example, it's like, okay, someone who is white or European descent, but they have African ancestry is one of those where it's like, okay, but how did the African or Black get in there? Is there pain behind that? Yeah. Or was there acceptance behind that? Because if you open, just open up that door going like, hi, I have, I have African ancestry and they turn and look at you and it is with malice because, you know, historical context, you have to bring those nuances into everything. They could potentially look at you and be like, okay, we don't care what you have in you. You're not getting in, door closed. And be like, what? But I'm your descendant. It's like, okay, interesting. Cool. So with with kindness and the same way that we would approach any living person. Yes. Yeah. Don't don't rush respect. in with a bunch of expectations and demands. Right. It's yes. respect. And it almost sounds like what you're saying is when you're making the effort to learn their language, to learn how they you're you're setting your vibrational frequency or your vibration to be more open to that connection because you're making that effort with the language. It's like going to a foreign country and trying to learn the language rather than expecting them to speak English. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Now, when it comes to like actually speaking language, that you, when it become, when it, between the realm of the living and also the realm of, you know, the, those who passed on, don't worry about speaking their language by their tongue. If you know how to, sure, that's great. But if you don't, it's one of those where it's like, they will still understand. Don't worry. They understand inten the intention and everything behind it. Granted, they have their own way and their own mindsets and everything. And sometimes even their own bias and bias and everything because they were they were once human and all that stuff. So when it comes to spoken language, don't worry about that. What I'm talking about is like when I say language, it's in quotation as in the framework in which you approach them. I should use that word, the framework in which you approach them, as in, are you approaching them in the framework in which they understand based off of how they believed and they worshipped? Or are you just taking it upon yourself to approach them any kind of way because you feel more comfortable? I tell people all the time, it's like, 
like if you especially if you um those um of african african-american descent black descent in the united states if you're trying to get into voodoo practice you're gonna have to face if you if you're coming with the with christian trauma religious trauma don't try to approach them with that trauma because you are mm. gonna have to sit down with the bible sit down and have to assess your relationship with god yeah, depending on your folks, you may have to reframe your framework and reframe your mental framework when it comes to, you know, your perceptions on Jesus and everything. And it's not that you have to believe in Jesus. It's just out of respect. They believed in Jesus. They may have believed in Jesus. Okay. Just go with it so that way they feel comfortable and you'd be surprised at how the gates just open if you just do it in their honor. They may feel open. Now, nuanced thing, you have some Black folks who are Catholic in a sense when it comes to voodoo practice. You have some Black folks who may have came from um, came from Islamic, um, uh, Islamic folk and things like that. You may have some um, Black Jewish folk, things like that. It's all within the nuance and the context in which they believed. That's how it is. I actually have two things coming up for me. Okay. So mm -hmm. I feel like I want to speak on the first one and go into uh, what is possible. So if someone comes from like a broken family, like they've been adopted at a very, very young age and they don't know their ancestors, like how does one even begin to connect or, you know, maybe it is bringing in um an altar for ancestors or anything that you might want to share of how we could even incorporate that yeah um when it comes to those who are adopted or come from broken families the easiest thing that you can do when it comes to setting up an altar now i do want to say not everyone is required to have an altar remember it's based off of the context in which your folks may have worked and believed in everything um, some folks don't need an altar. They just need to walk and live their veneration. Some folks need an altar. Other folks, they, they're required to go out into nature and let nature be their altar. It really all depends. But if you're starting out and you don't know those things, a glass of water, a white candle, and yourself is all that's needed. And prayer. Sitting down in prayer and contemplation. For example, um, Goodness, I have one client who is adopted, and I told them, take a glass of water, go out into nature, go to a tree. I want you to pour that water gently and just ask your ancestors to come forward. And I gave their script, basically not scripture, but like the script that I told them to recite and everything was elevated ancestors that love me unconditionally, who I do not know, but you know me. And they're pouring the water gently. I ask you to make yourself known to me. I wish to get to know you. I wish to connect with you. Those who have my best interests at heart that walk with me unconditionally, protecting me and guiding me. Help me get to know my family. Help me get to know my blood. And they're just pouring the water gently at the tree. And over the course, they did that for three days straight, but they just, and I told them keep with it and keep doing it until you know you start to get an answer and response. By day four, they started having dreams about different family members. They were having difficult interpreting it. And I do know how to interpret dreams. And I was like, all right, this is what they're saying. Boom, 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 boom. Next thing you know, they're like, 
do you know how to make fried fish? I'm like, of course I know how to make fried fish. <laughs> You're really all services here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a, fried, a fried catfish recipe. And I told them, cook this in their name. Lay it out for them. Do the same exact thing with the water and the candle. And then I want you to leave that overnight and go to sleep. They went to sleep. Dreams came in much stronger, but it was clearer. There was a clarity. They came back and they're like, I know who my ancestors are. I at least know one. This woman, she looks like this, da, 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 da. She lived in this time. I think this is her name. And I'm like, now you have a headache. Go and if you want to go and do, go and do an ancestry test and everything. If you believe that to be your name, go go and do it the dna test ancestry test or something like that shoot you might even have the information over time to be able to seek down your birth parents and figure things out after doing that for about eight months she messaged me on instagram recently it was like i found my birth parents and i was like mm. there we go oh my gosh so when I you just open chills. <laughs> It, it bridges the gap because you're bridging the gap spiritually. What is done in the spiritual reflects in the physical. She didn't done that in the spiritual and over time in the physical, she met up with their blood family. That's amazing. Does the same, did the same principles work for non-biological family or is this really strictly for biological family and ancestors? It can, it can work for non-biological um, ancestors, but it's one of those nuanced points again, where the spiritual connection, the soul connection, the bond has to be so great. It surpasses blood. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's the only way that can happen. That's the only way it can happen. The bond has to be so strong. It surpasses blood. Uh, for example, I have a I, I call him my family member, but he's not a family member per se, um, who was a friend of the family. I known him ever since I was a little kid, like friend of my grandparents and everything. Knew him all the way up until age 16 until he passed away, may he rest in peace, um, due to heart failure. But he was so close with the family, I honestly thought he was my uncle. Until I got old enough and figured out that, oh, you're friends of the family. Oh, you're my grandparents' best friend. But he treated me as if I was his nephew. He treated me and my siblings as if um, like we were his nieces and a nephew and all that stuff. And I put him on my altar. Everything is perfectly fine. Because the bond there was so great and so solidified. It's like he's blood. So that's the only time you're able to put someone on your altar um, that's not family. The bond has to be so strong as if they are family. There's no separation between the two. Cool. Thank you. It's almost like we've gone full circle a little bit from where you first started of really acknowledging that your body is your most powerful tool because your body is already coated with the blood and the DNA. And so it might be easier, so to speak, to work through that body to connect with those the mm -hmm. physical ancestors. Mm hmm. Very much so, because a little something also that I was raised with that all the answer and all the answers when it comes to your ancestors is in your blood. Your blood goes both way, past and also future. What you do now 
and everything, it it ripples both ways. Goes back by seven generations or more. Goes four by seven generations or more. In a in a Yoruba concept, there's a Yoruba concept. What you do now can also influence your future um, incarnation because uh, the, that makes in, sense to in, me. Uh, the understanding in Yoruba cosmology is that you reincarnate in your bloodline. So if you're over here making a fool of yourself in this <laughs> lifetime, you cannot set yourself up proper for your future reincarnation in that very bloodline. <laughs> That's some powerful incentive. It is. Right. Oh my gosh. <laughs> That's more incentive to get it, get things worked out. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh. Well, um, yeah, any other any other questions from us that, that y'all can think of? This is also, I'm so fascinated. I mean, there's like a thousand more. This is more, fantastic. But... I think this is just wonderful work. Um, how, how do people find you? Um, TikTok or Instagram. Um, my handle is this exact same. It's at Afro underscore spiritual. And uh, my services are linked to a Calendly. Uh, which is on my Instagram and also on my TikTok. But just be careful because, you know, there's scammers left and right and everything with so many different variations and spellings of, of my name. And it's like, no, I will never message you or anything like that for services or anything. I may recommend a service based off of what you're going through. But other than that, I will not message you going like, I feel so attracted to your energy. It's like, no. No, 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 no. Uh, we'll never that goes that. for everybody on for this everyone, podcast. For everyone, yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. No one is going to reach out to things. you. It, uh, it's one of those things. I had to tell one person because they got upset that they got scammed and they wanted me to reimburse them money. And I'm like, no, you you, you did that to you. What? No. <laughs> uh, no. That's your mistake. Lesson learned, right? <laughs> and I, I'm over here like, I will not go out of my way to hunt you down. A random stranger I don't know online just to be like, I have a message for you. It's like, no. So you'll know you found the correct Afro spiritual because at the time we were recording, you've got like 7,200 or so followers on Instagram. So probably by the time listeners are listening to this, it's going to be more, <laughs> that's the correct person. <laughs> yes. But um, um, there was, well, there, there was a question that someone asked earlier. I completely forgot. There was a second question. I think it was Amy that said that she had a second question that led up in everything. Oh, maybe about setting, well, there was setting up an altar. It was the connection of, of, so the first part of the question was like, if you don't even know your ancestors, and I feel like you kind of went into that. And then, of course, you know, those that might be curious or maybe already work with the altar and just, and I love what you spoke about of like, you don't even have to, like the earth can be your altar, you know? So what you've recommended for that client, as you are speaking those words, I was tapping into my essence because there's an aspect of me that um i get very uncomfortable around a lot of women so that to me mm -hmm. feels like oh there's some ancestral clearing that i might need to work on so just like me mm -hmm. tapping into those words as you were saying it, it was like ah now i'm opening myself to receive mm -hmm. the guidance the awareness so just so much gratitude for that because that is absolutely i see that as a practice that we can use if i don't know any of my ancestors, you know, that is that a beautiful opening to connect to that or to clear mm -hmm. 
those traumas that are in the body based oh, yeah. on things that we don't even know. And Amy, the fact that your that your trigger with that is like, wait, I'm having an issue with this thing, and it might go deeper than what's in your conscious awareness. And for me, I just one of the things I wrote down as you were talking, um, Afro, was how much racial healing that you are opening the door to, which is profound. And um, and to me, that goes like, even if you don't have mixed races in your ancestry, is there a part of your ancestry that feels other? You know, it's, I think we, you know, is there a part that we feel like, oh, I don't want to claim them. Yeah, that, that guy was a murderer and like, I don't want to claim them. And it's like, oh, wait, yeah, there, yeah, there are, there are some people who are like that. For example, um, I can use myself as an example and everything on my dad's side. We are dar- direct, though we're black on my dad's side, black through and through because of our last name, we are direct descendants of a plantation owner because of our last name, because the owner of the plantation's grandson, though he was married, he on the down low had basically was married and had children with one of the, uh, one of the house slaves. So on my dad's side, there's a direct link to that family. And for the longest time, for the longest time, I was uncomfortable going like, I don't want to work with him. No, I don't want to work with him. Mm-mm, mm-mm, nope, nope. How can you be married and still this, that, and that, and all the da, 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 and the history and everything? I'm like, nope. And then over time, I was like, okay, you're going to have to sit down with this eventually. And I did like last year and all that stuff. And I was like, okay, I'm going to approach this particular sister, the grandson. And when I did, completely different, like, energy i thought that he was going to be aggressive and all that stuff and actually sitting down and talking to him it, there was no aggression there was genuine love and that's when i found out the truth and i even told my dad and confronted him and also talked to my grandfather about it he was like yeah you didn't know that he might have been married he might have did what he did because that was the time but he truly did love his black wife and also his mixed race children it's just because of the time period, he wasn't able to legitimately and legally, you know, be with her. That was it. I love that you respected your own journey enough to not rush that. Right. And wait until yeah. you were in a space to to really be able to go there and then receive this gift. Yeah. And I was like, oh, wow. Okay. And then that's what my dad told me. It's like, why do you think at our family graveyard and everything, he is the only white man buried in an all-black cemetery, all-black oh, wow. grave next to the church that we founded in that county? And I was like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. He is the only white man. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so, wonderful. And it, takes, and it takes time. It really does take time. But there are people... And this is where I also tell people, I'm like, you may have ancestors that, you know, that did not do, were not the best people at all, even, even for generations. But if you want to look at it from a, where, like, you know, how to say, you know, look at the glass half full. For example, let's say that you come from a family line of, you know, of emotional narcissists. You come from narcissists and everything. 
and like, you know, emotionally abusive and manipulative and da 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 da. As bad as it is, you could extract the silver lining from that and be like, well, at least they learned new self-preservation and how to be able to prioritize themselves. You know, you, you could use a little bit of that in your life, you know, just take that silver lining and run with it. They knew how to prioritize themselves as yeah. bad as it is. Yeah, well, and someone like a narcissist too, it's almost always, not, almost always, not always, but almost always a trauma response. Mm -hmm. So I can also imagine like, okay, that person survived. Yeah. Like that person survived. And like, as a result, I'm here. Mm -hmm. So it's one of those things. You can look at all these different traumas, experiences and everything, even from a historical context. Uh, because I remember someone uh, telling me that, no, our ancestors passed on. And like all that stuff doesn't matter. I'm like, um, everything, if everything is energy, that even means history itself is energy that pain still exists. What are we doing as people who are physically incarnated now to resolve and absolve the pain of history? That still plays in with a lot of our ancestors, depending on where and who and the time period in which they live. That's the reason why you have people walking around with like years and generations of built up generational trauma. Even science recently confirmed that Oh, genes do carry memory, epigenetics. And it's like, which is the one thing when it comes to ancestral work, us as practitioners have been saying for years. Yeah, when science confirms spirituality. Exactly. <laughs> oh, this has been such a treat. Thank you so much for joining us. We're gonna, we're gonna hopefully listeners, y'all go check out Afro Spiritual. You won't be sorry. Um, there's just more um more deliciousness. Uh, and all and all the work. So this is great. Thank you so much. You're welcome. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Thank Thanks. you so much. So much appreciation for all that you've shared and just uh, the wisdom that you've shared and you're welcome. Many blessings. There was yes, one thing that, that I wanted to go into deeper that I wasn't able to when I said you. Some people don't need an altar. Some people need an altar. Some people could just go out in nature, and it's the whole understanding of you can lit. Most people just needs to live their veneration. As in, you know, before you eat your food, you pray and can sit there and say, all right, ancestors, I'm eating this food in your honor. What I eat, you eat. Or you sing, sing to them on the everyday. Or, you know, just keeping them in your thoughts and prayers on the everyday and stuff like that. Because traditionally, uh, the biggest contention point when it comes to ancestral altars amongst the ATRs is, um, for example, is what's the where's the appropriate place to keep your ancestral altar? Some people are like, don't have it in your bedroom because do you really want to be undressed and doing your freaky do and, <laughs> and stuff like that? And I always have to tell people that you can't tell that to a hoodoo practitioner because we work based off of necessity in the moment in which we need. So if we need to have our altar in the bedroom, we're going to have an altar in the bedroom. Now, if we cannot have an altar, that's perfectly fine. And some people, and some people, especially across the diaspora, that is not Kudu based, they're like, what? What do you mean no ancestral altar? And I'm like, y'all, we wasn't able to keep an ancestral altar back in the days of slavery and oppression. We didn't have multiple rooms. It was either one room or two. And one was for cooking, one was for sleeping. We lived our veneration. We prayed, we sung, we danced, we worked with them in mind and everything. 
shoot, if we was able to, we went to a tree because all the way back from Africa, the tree is symbolic of the ancestral, is the symbol of the ancestral line. The roots going all the way up the trunk to the leaves branching out. If we were able to get to a tree, that's what we do. But for the most part, we embodied our veneration without an altar. And if we had one, it was in disguise, as in a oil lamp or some kind of burner of some sort, because candles was too much of a hot commodity. So oil lamps is traditional. If we had food out without it going stale and all that stuff and rotten, okay, but food was too much of a commodity, so we ate it. So the most that was there was a lamp of some sort, an oil lamp of some sort, and possibly a Bible, if we can muster one. That was it. We lived our veneration back then. Ancestor altars didn't become really a thing until after emancipation. And, you know, we need to be able to work and do for ourselves and all that stuff. I love that. Sometimes I think we, we people worry about sort of um, making vast ritual errors, whereas mm -hmm. living is is its own ritual. It is. Living mindfully is its own ritual that can be enough sometimes. And that's, it's actually funny because I was reading a book um, yesterday um, called Finding Path, uh, Finding Soul on the Path of Orisha, a book that was recommended to me by my godparents. And they have this one section and they're talking about ancestors. And it was, I got, I got to it, it's chapter five, I think, and it sat there and said, how to build a deeper connection with the ancestors. And it was talking about that. What is the right way of doing? And they said, the author was saying that don't get caught up in doing everything and being perfect and doing things right and everything. Because if you try to focus on what is the right way of doing, you're going to make more mistakes and everything. And then it's going to come from a love or building a sense of trust and security with your ancestors. It's going to start coming from a place of fear. And that fear can be debilitating to your ancestors and building that connection. So you want to come to them from the heart as you are just speak openly honestly authentically to them be intimate establish that sense of trust like one and they were in things and it's interesting because um the things that they were describing are things that i do on the every day when i wake up i tell my folks good morning and all that stuff i leave them coffee i'm like we're gonna have a great day da, 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 what i'm doing today blah blah blah, blah. like keeping it casual there are times where i approach them formally and it's like ancestors or oh, ancestors other than that i'm like good morning here's your coffee mm -hmm. let's go and have a good day i know you with me and everything this is what we got going on blah blah blah, blah. go about my day and then i'll be like all right i'm putting out the candle or turn off the lights be like good night see you morning or see you in the dream world and all that stuff blah blah blah, blah. just so it really all depends like what what you're trying to do and everything. If you're doing spiritual work, like, and you're getting into deep, deep work, it's like, yeah, you want to approach them formally because you're formally petitioning and asking them for their help. But if you're not doing any kind of spiritual work and you're just doing things on the everyday, you know, simple prayer or just casual conversation is perfectly fine. Because That's when awesome. you approach when you approach your parents, for example, is it always as a formal thing? The only formality in the conversation is the way you address them. That's it. And then you just talk to them normally, but with a sense of respect because they're your elder. That's it. But if you're going to them asking, 
what normally happens. It's like, hey, mom, I'm looking to do X, Y, and Z, X, Y, and Z. Can I please have permission to do X, Y, and Z? Very formal. So with that in mind, doing it in the, in the living, what makes you think you have to do that every single time addressing your ancestors, addressing them in a formal manner 24-7? Super cool. I love it. Yeah, I appreciate that in- invitation to have that relationship, you know, that like, hey, I'm human, you're human, you may not be in human form, like in a body now, but you're still there's still that human connection. So thank you for mm-hmm. offering that. And I feel called. Is there any other last messages that might want to come through or that the ancestors want to share through you for our listeners or perhaps? Oh, goodness. Goodness. If there's one message, it's funny that you say that because now I'm hearing my auntie in the background going like, I have something. I'm, I'm like, yes, ma'am. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, yes, ma'am. What you like to say? That is a good one. Learn to trust their work. Learn to trust their work. And it's funny that she brings that up. Yeah, ancestors are working and doing things on the seen and unseen level. They could be working in ways that you might not even take notice to because, you know, life is happening. But learning to trust their guidance and how they work, like how God works in mysterious ways, so do your ancestors. They're not always going to come communicating to you or working things in a way that may always be comfortable for you. But sometimes your folks, they will push you out of your comfort zone all because they see the greater lesson behind it. And it's like, nah, this is to teach you. It might be uncomfortable for you. You might not like it. You would thank me later. You thank me later. And it's like, but the, and, and to you, you'd be like, oh, but this is scary, da, 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 da. I remember one time, my uh, this particular auntie and everything of mine, goodness, I was struggling to step out of my comfort zone Especially when it came to like, you know, being like doing the whole TikTok thing and Instagram thing because I have a thing with the public and everything. It's like, oh my God, I just, I don't know. And she looked at me and going like, you scared of doing public speaking? Do you honestly have any idea what we went through? (laughs) And you're scared of, you know, you're stronger than that Mm. because we're strong. What are you doing? And I was like, you're right. I'm over here being scared of public speaking and y'all went through way worse and still survived so I could be here. You're right. You're right. Let me stand up. (laughs) Let me just suck it up. Do it. Blessed ever since. I'm like, and they were correct. It's like, you're right. What I had to fear, there was nothing to fear. Y'all survived so much more and way worse situations and still came out on top so I can be here. And I'm over here being scared of something so simple. Damn. <laughs> so now you tr- got those 7,000 followers. It's yeah. Beautiful. It's like trust their them. wisdom, trust how they move you and orient you in life and may feel uncomfortable at first. You may be uncertain, but it's like, Trust them, have faith that they know what they're doing because your elevated ancestors, they're not only working on your behalf, but they're also working on behalf in the understanding of God's will. 
And when I say that is because as humans in flesh, sometimes it can be a little difficult to discern the will of the divine. But the benefit is that they're on the other side and you're elevated. They see with further insight than what you're able to see as humans. So you may have spiritual gifts, but their insight, it goes further. Because they're in an energetic form, it's easier for them to discern the will of the divine. So when I say trust them, it's like, trust them. They know what they're talking about. They do. It's easier for them to interpret the will of the divine because they're in energetic form. And they will relay them messages. Just trust them. Trust them. They know what they're doing. You might not be able to see it in a moment, but they know what they're doing. <laughs>